0: So like I said last time, the Second Amendment does guarantee the right of the states to maintain a militia, but it's a mistake to think that's all it does. To demonstrate this point, I'll start with what the Supreme Court has said about the Second Amendment. Now, for the sake of relevance, I'm always going to talk about Supreme Court decisions on constitutionality because whether I like it or not, and I don't, the Supreme Court gets to make law from the bench. That said, I fundamentally disagree with the idea that the courts have any right to decide the constitutionality of anything. That notion in itself is unconstitutional. Constitutional review is not a power delegated to the judiciary in the Constitution. If you want, check out episode nine for a more in-depth analysis of the Supreme Court and judicial review. But even if you like judicial review, just think of how dead wrong the Supreme Court has been at times. Jim Crow laws, for example. That's why, though I'll talk about the Supreme Court and their decisions, I always give more credence to the original intent of the founders. Anyways, that said, Let's talk about what the Supreme Court has to say about this. In DC versus Heller in 2008, the Supreme Court struck down a federal law that prohibited the possession of handguns in Washington, DC. Justice Scalia, speaking for the 5-4 majority, ruled that the history and language of the Second Amendment demonstrate that it protects the right of the individual to have arms for their own defense, not the right of the states to maintain a militia. In McDonald versus Chicago in 2010, the Supreme Court struck down a state law that also banned handguns. With the precedent set from DC versus Heller that individual gun ownership is a right, as I just explained, the 5-4 majority ruled that the 14th Amendment's Due Process Clause and Privileges and Immunities Clause protect individuals from state infringement of the same right. To further demonstrate this point, now let's talk about the well-regulated militia wording of the Second Amendment this is a common talking point, so let's dive into it. Many gun control activists think that the first clause of the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, places a strict limit on the second clause of the amendment, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But that idea, it's just wrong. And Justice Scalia explained the grammar of it perfectly in DC versus Heller. He said, quote, the Second Amendment is naturally divided into two parts, its prefatory clause and its operative clause. The former does not limit the latter grammatically but rather announces a purpose. The amendment could be rephrased, because a well-regulated militia is necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed." End quote. I don't bring this up because it's a Supreme Court decision. I bring it up because it's extremely well put. By including the prefatory statement of purpose, the founders aren't trying to limit the right of the people. They're really doing the opposite they announce the purpose so there's no confusion why we need this right to fight not to kill deer not for sport to fight Scalia points out that this grammar technique is unique within the constitution but common in other legal documents of the founding era individual rights laid out in many state constitutions often included a prefatory statement of purpose another point i want to make about the militia is that the prefatory clause actually strengthens the case for individual gun rights rather than weakens it like so many on the left think it does. The only way for a militia to be well-regulated is if the people have an individual right to keep and bear arms. Let me explain. It was universally accepted at the time of the Constitutional Convention that the militia meant every able-bodied man. Well-regulated in this context means well-functioning, i.e. well-trained and good at fighting. This isn't really how we use the word today, but the way it was used back then, well-regulated was the property of something being in good working order. Something that was well-regulated was something that was calibrated correctly or functioning as expected. If you don't believe me, all you gotta do is go to Oxford English Dictionary, put in well-regulated and narrow down the search to, I don't know, 1700 to 1850. Now, it turns out you can't actually do that without a subscription, but I care so much about convincing you guys that I actually paid the $30 for a one-month subscription to Oxford English Dictionary just so I could go in and search for this and narrow it down to the old days because they have like a 1,000 years of references in the English language. Anyways, here's a bunch of examples. 1853, we shall witness the earth moving with the well-regulated automatous action of a steam engine. So there it means proper working order or calibrated correctly. 1818, the cooking of a nourishing hot mess every day for the young and the sick is an indispensable part of every well-regulated plantation. So there it means like working properly. 1788, ooh, this one's Alexander Hamilton. In Federalist 83, he said, the capricious operation of so dissimilar a method of trial is of itself sufficient to indispose every well-regulated judgment towards it so well regulated judgment that's like a good judgment that's a properly working judgment doesn't mean government regulation 1824 the mainspring ooh which is a part of a gun to be well regulated should be first pulled up very hard this is a literal mechanical piece being well regulated they're not talking about government regulation. That just means it's calibrated, working properly. 1870. Those well-regulated minds which, during a good part of the last century, found out a way, through rhyme, to snatch a prosiness beyond the reach of prose. So, well-regulated minds. Obviously not government regulation of your mind. Or thought police. 1824. We recommend that he shall set aside for the perusal of them some quiet evening after witnessing the suppering up of the beasts, a duty of the master himself in all well-regulated moderate country establishments. 1711. All well-regulated families that set apart an hour every morning for tea and bread and butter. Oh, how nice. Maybe they mean government-regulated family. Hmm? 1836. Wherever I see order, whether it be in a well-regulated family, in a well-policed town, in a well-disciplined army, or in a symmetrical edifice. 1768, the principal object is to be the establishment of well-regulated schools of design where students in the arts may find instruction. This may be the best example. 1790, in vicinal situations, the next best mode to angular measurement is no doubt that of marking. By means of well-regulated clocks, the repeated explosion of light. This is the quintessential example, a clock. A well-regulated clock is a clock that is good at telling time. It's a clock that's calibrated correctly and functioning as expected. In an 18th century fighting force of civilians that only get together once every blue moon to train, how can an individual militiaman be well-trained, AKA well-regulated? He has to train on his own time. So a well-regulated militia necessarily presupposes that individual citizens be able to keep practice and master the use of their firearms so to put it all together here's what the second amendment means on the whole a militia has to be well trained and well functioning in order to protect the security of a free state so since the people themselves are the militia the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed so they can practice and master the use of their weaponry And now the question we're still answering, whether the Second Amendment protects gun rights for individuals or only the members of the militia. So continuing down that road, let's talk about the words the people in the Second Amendment. Some folks think that the people, as spelled out in the Second Amendment, refers to the people as a whole and not the people as individuals. They call it a collective right as opposed to an individual right. I have a couple of points about this and we'll get to that on the next episode. Thank you so much for watching and supporting this show. Please be sure to leave your thoughts in the comment section down below or over at Twitter. All the links you need are down below. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. The views expressed in this show are those of the author and do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of the Department of Defense, Department of the Navy, or the U.S. government.